Hi, I'm Doug Jones, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. some new little nugget of information, which is daily. I get excited. Being the caretaker of this legacy is is an honor and a, and a huge responsibility. You know, it's, it's funny. I laugh with my family and say, you know, I, I think I know more about Walt Disney than I do about my own father. <laughs> Hi, this is Terry Hawkins from the Great White North, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Episode 22 starts now. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. So D23 is coming up soon and Jamie you're going to it. I am. <laughs> what do you like how do you of all people no you got access to it. <laughs> Why am I going? <laughs> yeah, I'm just you're not you're certainly not going on behalf of the Great Big Beautiful podcast, but I wish. I wish. <laughs> it's, it's word is out there that we're just so awesome and they they've actually personally invited us to come. <laughs> uh no, I uh I have never been to one before. I've always wanted to go. Um, they do them domestically. I think it's every two years. Uh, the next one's going to be in Japan. And uh, um, I am going as press um, for the other stuff that I do aside from the podcast. Um, so hopefully I'll uh, be able to get to a lot of panels and I'll get to see a lot of the stuff that's on the show floor. And just from the press releases that have they haven't released a full schedule yet. Um at least at the time, as of right now, when we're recording, when this posts, we might have a full schedule. Um, but uh, just the press releases that they have released, I want to go to everything. I mean, yeah. it's three days long and they have things that overlap. So you can't I mean, it's like any other convention. You can't go to every panel, but everything looks just so great. I followed it. the last D23 on Twitter and I, I, the whole time I was glued to it, I couldn't get away. Yeah. And I can't imagine what, what is like, I, if you're a Disney fan, this is yeah. going to be, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of things that will get better for you for geekdom than this. Yeah. It's like following San Diego, following the Comic-Con or following when Star Wars Celebration was on, you know, if you were into uh, Star Wars Celebration was where all the news was coming out of. And it was like, if you couldn't be there. Then you were just glued to the computer, you know, watching all the news. And it's the same way if you're a fan of Disney, um, this is where all the news is going to be coming out. So um, there was not a new trailer released for Star Wars at San Diego. Um, and the rumor is that we're going to be getting the third trailer at D23. So. And that would bring it back to being... Disney reminding people that hey we own Star Wars now. So yeah, and you know Marvel um 
was didn't even have a big presence at San Diego. They don't. I don't think that they had a um, a, um, a booth at all that was announced months in advance of San Diego that Marvel was not going to be having a presence there, and that's because most of the big announcements are going to be coming out of D23. And it's just like you said, it's Disney saying, hey, we own them. They're us now. And and if you think about it, that's really mind-blowing that Marvel wouldn't have a booth at the biggest Comic-Con. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, it is a little bit nuts. That's how, (laughs) that's the world we live in. (laughs) You got to get to all of them if you want to see it. You really do. (laughs) And I know some people are, quickly before we get to our uh, interview, um, some people are hoping you're going to hear some Hollywood Studios news. We'll see if that actually pans out. Yeah, um, I actually got an email today from my mom saying, I heard that the Hollywood Park in Florida was closing. Is it really that bad? <laughs> so I don't know where she's getting her news. but um, you know. That's well, that depends, Mom. Do you like Disney Junior Live on stage? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would imagine at the very least we'll probably get the new name, right. I, I would think, um, and maybe some um, some broad stroke plans for where it's going we'll probably get some maybe some definite information about what star wars is coming to the park um you know we've heard rumors about a pixar playland that's going to be going in if there's going to be if there's going to be anything marvel they probably wouldn't announce that at d23 it's too soon um but yeah there is a panel about the parks and what's coming down the, the pike there for the parks. So that's exactly yeah. what's going to, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say for sure, but something, well, yeah. something I mean, some, good is going to happen. <laughs> they're going to, well, I don't, I wouldn't say good. I don't, they're going to yeah. announce something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something good for gossip is going to happen. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> there, there's going to be a back lot tour in the parking lot. No. <laughs> so yeah, we have a, we have a guest tonight, Becky Klein, and she is actually the director of the Walt Disney Archives, and they're going to be, have a exhibit set up at D23. They will. It's um, it's their biggest one yet. They have an exhibit at every D23 Expo, um, and they D23 has also had some some events that they kind of go on the road. They're, they've had the fan anniversary events, and they've had a few other different things. Um, so there there have been other places where the archives has archives has exhibited objects but this will be the biggest um exhibition of of disneyland memorabilia probably put together in one place for public view um it's celebrating disneyland's 60th anniversary and it's going to be twelve thousand square feet on the show floor um some 300 artifacts are going to be on display um yeah it looks to be just kind of mind-blowing if you're if you like disneyland so i'm really looking forward to that and I am insanely jealous. So we're going to get to our conversation with Becky Klein, the director of the Walt Disney Archives. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I wanted to just start off um, because I know that there's a little bit of a mystery, um, I guess you could call it that, surrounding the archives because it's not open to the public. And I know a lot of people are really curious about what it is. Um, really quickly, I was wondering if you could just give us um, a a rundown of what it is that the the Walt Disney Archives is and what you do. Great. Well, the Walt Disney Archives, as you mentioned, it is close to the public. It's a business archive. And so um, because Walt Disney is a very large corporation, we have uh, an archive that that covers uh, the history of the Walt Disney Company worldwide. So we take care of everything that that falls under the corporate umbrella, which is everything that's, that's Disney branded. But we also cover all the uh, other companies that are part of the Walt Disney Corporation. So 
we have materials um, on ABC and all of its affiliates, um, all of uh, Disney Channel, things like that. So things that are branded Disney, but also ABC, Marvel, Pixar, Muppets, uh, now Lucasfilm, of course, and ESPN, all the other things that are part of the Walt Disney Company and a lot of smaller organizations as well. But we keep the history for the whole company worldwide. And I am the... Uh, the director of the Walt Disney Archive, so I oversee keeping the history of the whole company. And um, so it's it's not just the business units of the company, but it's also, of course, our founder, Walt Disney, and his his history as uh, as an American and as an individual, as well as what he and Roy Disney uh, did to found the Walt Disney Company. And so we are we're close to the public as far as research. Um, people are allowed to come in and do research with approval by the Walt Disney Legal Department. Um, and of course, we give tours through um, D23 and things like that. But, but it's unfortunately not a place where people can just walk in. So there is a little bit of mystery about the, the archives, but we do share our facilities with D23 members and, and folks at the studio. Great. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Disneyland exhibit that's going to be at the, this year's D23 Expo. I know that it's going to have a few hundred items on display, and the exhibit actually is going to be really, really big. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, just just the press release I've seen and some of the information that I've seen about what's going to be there has me really looking forward to it. Um, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what sets this exhibit apart from the from others that the archives have put on and the, in previous expos and at other places. Well, we've done an exhibit for each expo, and I think they've they've gotten a little bit more elaborate and a little larger each time. But this time, for the first time, we're doing our exhibit on the show floor instead of doing it upstairs. In the past uh, expos, we've done it up on the second floor of the convention center, and it was more of an intimate kind of black box experience um, where you would just walk through and, and see the assets and, and the materials there. This time what we're doing is we're putting it down on the actual show floor, which I think is going to make it very vibrant and exciting. And, of course, it's the biggest one we've done yet at, at 12,000 square feet. And we're going to have over 300 objects, um, everything from small, little tiny pieces to gigantic, uh, you know, uh, attraction vehicles and things like that. So it's going to be really exciting. And, and of course, this particular exhibit has an overall theme. Our other exhibits were more kind of the treasures of the Disney archives, sharing interesting and unusual things. Um, this time there is one unifying theme to the exhibit, and that's, of course, Disneyland's 60th anniversary and the history of Disneyland from 55 to the present. So that makes it unique as well. So uh, what what kind of discussion and planning goes into deciding what you're going to put on display? Well, the very first thing we do is decide what the theme of the exhibit is going to be. And, of course, 60th anniversary was kind of a no-brainer <laughs> this year. Um, so we decided that we were going to pull together all of the assets that we had in the archives that, that we have that tell the history of Disneyland. And then we reached out to some of our partners across the company. There are various other small organiza smaller organizations um, in, within Disney, different libraries that handle special uh, functions. For example, uh, Walt Disney Imagineering has their own art library because that material gets used all the time by the, by the, the WDI uh, staff. And so they need to keep a, a library of materials close to them. So we reached out to the, the WDI Art Library, who very graciously loaned us some materials and things to, to augment what we have in the archives. And then we also reached out to our other partners at uh, the Animation Research Library, for example, which is where all the animation art is stored by the company. And then the Studio Film Library is, is uh, allowing us to use uh, clippings, clips and 
materials from their collection to to tell the story. So the first idea was to see what we had in our collection and then reach out to our partners around the company and, and see what kind of materials we could share that people A, hasn't seen before or that they don't see often or, or that will help us tell the story of the, the special items that we're bringing. Are, is there anything that's going to be on display that's never been seen before, like outside of the archives? Outside of the archives, sure, there'll be a number of things there that, that, that we have not shared. Uh, there are some, some things that uh, have recently been acquired by the archives, uh, and we're going to share those publicly for the first time. There's some, some newly created media and, and uh, artwork and things that are going to be seen. Uh, I, I think we've announced some of them in the, the press releases, but uh, one thing that, that's going to be really fun for people to see, we're doing one exhibit, we're calling it The Anatomy of an Attraction, and it's based on, on telling the story of how an attraction at, at the parks starts out at the, at the studio as a film. And so what we're doing is we're taking Alice in Wonderland as, a, as an example and showing it in media form and in pictures and in objects how the story starts out as an animated film and becomes a ride attraction or a, a, a vehicle attraction at, Disney, at Disneyland or, or any of our, our, uh, our uh, parks. So in this particular one, we're showing a piece that's in the archives that we've never shown anyone before, and that's the prototype ride vehicle for the Alice in Wonderland attraction. And it's kind of fun. So we're going to have, you know, the, the real thing there, the thing that people are used to seeing in, when they ride the attraction, but we're also having the prototype that shows, you know, how it gets from one stage to another. And that'll be fun. Um, we're going to do that kind of thing in other places in the exhibit and show some Materials, costumes, things that haven't been on display before. Some of them from our partners at Disneyland who are loaning us some objects and other things from our own collection that we just haven't had an outlet to share yet. So it'll be really fun. Do you have things like, I mean, you mentioned the uh, prototype vehicle for Alice in Wonderland. Do you have, um, I, I mean, are there large scale prototypes for most of the attractions or are they, are they still a rarity? No, that's rare, very rare that they were even kept. That particular one um, was given to us. It was it was stored away in a warehouse and was kept. We don't have any other prototype attraction vehicles. That's so that's why we we actually think it's really fun to show that, and that's why we selected Alice in Wonderland because we had some some you know early things like that. There are no prototype vehicles left from the early days that I'm aware of. I think that's the only one. So it's pretty special. So as a Disney historian yourself, uh, what do you hope people, uh, fans of Disney, take away from the exhibit after experiencing it? I think the, the thing that I'm most interested in, in developing this exhibit, like I said, we took uh, a look at what a assets that we had that we could share. And then I kind of crafted the story of the exhibit. As you know, storytelling is premier at Disney. It's the most important thing is how we tell our stories. And even with an exhibit, we want to tell a story. So what we did is, Instead of doing a chronological look at Disneyland's last 60 years, because, you know, there's so much material, we couldn't put everything in. What we decided to do was to tell the story of how Walt felt about, about Disneyland and what his philosophies were. And so it is roughly chronological. It starts at the beginning, of course, and we start with the construction of Disneyland and opening day. But then we kind of diverge into st telling little stories and kind of focusing on Walt's philosophies of Disneyland and how he felt about it and how different different people have experienced Disneyland over the years. So the opening day and the construction, of course, is first. But then we go into, you know, what it's like uh, to being a cast member, 
So, so some items that, that cast members have only experienced and then showing special guests at Disneyland, showing how it was experienced by our sponsors and lessees, for example. And, and then, of course, the things that people always want to see, kind of the eye candy of Disneyland, which is the attractions, you know, and you want to share objects that, that celebrate the, some of the individual attractions. So not everything is, is covered in the exhibit. We, we'd have to take over the whole convention center to do that. But um, in this big exhibit we're doing, we're sharing, you know, a, a little taste of, of parades and daytime events and nighttime events and, and the experience of different people. But all of it is, is seen through Walt's philosophy about how we treat that guests or how, how it takes a team to do, you know, the work that's done at Disneyland. And so it, Walt's ideas and words are sprinkled throughout. It always begins and ends with Walt when you're telling the story of Disneyland. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, you know, when for the guests, when we visit someplace like Disneyland or, or the Magic Kingdom, if you think about it, Walt's fingerprints are still all over the place and you can still feel his legacy in a lot of the original attractions and in a lot of what's still continuing to come out um, with new, newer attractions. But I'm wondering, when you work with that every day as your job and not just, you know, um, on the surface level, but you're deeply immersed in the history and the legacy. Um, does it ever, I don't want to say, does it get old, but uh, <laughs> I mean, but what, like how, how do you, is it something that you're aware of every day or does it eventually just become a job? No, I mean, there's, I have the most wonderful job in the world, I swear. And, and I think, you know, it, it, the, the kind of things that I get to do are a dream you know, for anyone to do, but there is a lot of hard work behind it too. So there's a lot of administrating, there's a lot of scheduling and, and a lot of, a lot of meetings and things like that. So it's not all glamor, but the, the wonderful thing about it is that the more I learn about this company, the more I want to, and I still go home and read books about Disney. And, and every time I find some new little nugget of information, which is daily, I get excited, you know, and I share it with, with everybody. And, and for me, being the caretaker of this legacy is, is an honor and a, and a huge responsibility. And everything I can learn about it, I do. And, and I never get tired of it. No. Uh -uh. You know, it's, it's funny. I laugh with my family and say, you know, I, I think I know more about Walt Disney than I do about my own father. <laughs> I make him laugh, but it's very true. And, you know, what do you do? You know, you just, you know, I know, I know the street address of the house where he was born, but I couldn't tell you my dad's. So it's, it's very interesting to, to think about it in that way, but, but you become immersed in, in the story and it's such a wonderful story. And he was such a wonderful man that, you know, you can't, I can't stop learning about him. And every time I, I still discover interesting, fascinating things about him all the time. Hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine that that fascination would ever get old. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back real quickly to the expo, um, I know that you were involved um, in a few of the different panels that will be happening that weekend, uh, including a Mickey Mouse Club reunion. Um, yeah. And which is pretty exciting because there's going to be a lot of the old cast there, which is which is amazing. Um, I was just wondering what guests, what you think guests would be able to, uh, what, what they would expect to see and hear if they were to sit in on that panel. Well, I think I think it's going to be really exciting because, as you said, you know, it's kind of a reunion. It's it's going to be, you know, a lot of the Mouseketeers that that we've known and loved for years, and also we've invited, you know, additional Mouseketeers who to come and, and participate as well. So there's going to be a lot of interesting people there to see and and hear from. 
Uh, there'll be a few surprises. I've got a few things I'm not going to give away, but it's something that people won't want to miss. I'll tell you, mm. people be talking about it. There's going to be a lot, of course, of, of fond reminiscences and, and memories of people who are no longer with us. You know, of course, people like Annette and Jimmy and Roy and Bob Amsbury and, and the, the adult leaders. Annette Funicello and some of the other Mouseketeers who are sadly are no longer with us. And we'll, we'll, of course, you know, talk about everybody who is involved in the show and, and do fond, fond look back at them on, in media and as well as, as in what the panelists say. There'll be a little, little entertainment, a little, a little talking, a little watching, um, and a few surprises. So I think it'll be something that everybody will really enjoy. And I think it'll be unique. I don't think anybody's done what we're doing this time. And, um, and it's it's going to be a special experience for everybody. And you're actually going to be on a panel about the making of the PBS special American Experience, Walt Disney. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, it's really exciting. The American Experience is a is a, a production that's being done by KGBH in Boston and being produced by a lovely lady named Sarah Colt. And she's produced a, a documentary that originally was, was planned to air one evening, as, as the American Experience usually does. And when she came to the archives to start researching Walt Disney's life and seeing how much we had to, to celebrate his history, she was amazed and ended up doubling the size of the exhibit, so, or the, uh, of the documentary. So it's actually going to be a two-night, four-hour documentary about Walt Disney, which is longer than any other thing ever done. I mean, there have been other documentaries, but they, they were, you know, feature length. This is two nights, four hours, and I think she still has said she couldn't put everything in. So <laughs> wow. I, think, I think it's really special. And, and of course, you know, WGBH is very reputable, and, and I think they'll do it at the highest quality. I'm really kind of, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm looking forward to what they've done, but it was, it was a, a very great pleasure to work with them. I'm such a fanboy of Walt Disney. I just got goosebumps all over. And you're like a two night, four hour. I can't. I seriously can't wait for that. <laughs> it's going to air in September. It's going to be exciting. Oh, amazing. Yes, if you go to the to their site, they have uh, they have a the American Experience has a site where they have a, a trailer. So check it out. Absolutely, we'll link the uh, we'll link the trailer to when we when we put this episode up. That'll be fantastic. Great. Um, are there? Um, and we talked about how the archives isn't open to the public and you do these special exhibits at the expos. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any plans to open a permanent exhibit? Has, has have you ever given thought to that or, you know, some sort of museum space where people would be able to come and see some of those, those treasures? Yeah, the, idea, the idea surfaces often. We talk about it and, and, you know, one day I would love to do that and I would, certainly wouldn't rule it out, but we don't have plans right now for a kind of a bricks and mortar Museum, but we're doing and developing a lot of special exhibits. We we do them uh, currently every time we do an expo. We also do special exhibits in conjunction with some of our business partners. Like we provide materials to our theme parks, like uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, for example. They have a lot of exhibits that that uh, with items that come from the archives. So that's a permanent kind of exhibit space uh, through the parks. But we also do traveling exhibits, and we're developing things. Uh, we don't have anything ready to announce yet, but it's it's always cooking. And, of course, we have exhibits traveling in international locations right now. There's two uh, currently traveling around Japan, and then there'll be a D23 Expo in Japan in November, and we'll have an exhibit there that we're, we're building with them. So um, we are not planning right now to build our own museum at the moment, but we definitely are, are working on ways to get our assets out there into the public so that they can see and share them. 
that's one of our main goals now is is not just preserving you know all of this Disney history, but also sharing it with the people who love it the most. Do you work Do you work at all with the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco, or are they completely separate from you guys? Well, the Walt Disney Family Museum is completely separate. It's actually uh, hosted and and run by the Walt Disney Family. Right. Um, but we work with them very closely because, of course, anything that has to do with Walt Disney has to do with the Disney mm-hmm. Company as well. So that actually is one of one of my jobs is to be one of the the main liaisons for content between the Family Museum and the Walt Disney Company. So, and also because I oversee the Walt Disney Photo Library as part of the archives. Um, we're very closely related to to what's going on up there, and and I deal on a daily basis with them. So we're we're very happy to be a partner with the Family Museum, and we we love to support them and do what we can to help out there. And they're doing some great stuff. They got right. some wonderful exhibits coming up that that everybody should should see. They they've got some great yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, if you're a Walt Disney fan at all, and you're in the San Francisco area, that's definitely something I recommend for people to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So. I used to work in museums, and I actually worked at a uh, a collections archive for one of the museums here in in Washington D.C. So I kind of have an idea of what the inside of the archives probably looks like. But I think <laughs> I think when most people think of it, they're probably envisioning you know, we used to always hear about movies going back into the vault. You know, you know, buy it now before it goes back into the vault. And I think most people. Yeah, I think most people would probably envision a huge vault with a big like bank door or something. Um, <laughs> could could you like just you know okay. give us like walk us through the archives? What would we see? What would we smell? What would we be able to you know, experience if we were to walk through? Well, you know, I think the first thing that people experience when they come to the archives is surprise because something as vast as the Walt Disney Company, you'd think the history of the, of the company would would take up a lot of space. And frankly, it does. But but our offices, the actual archive office, is pretty small. We're located on the studio lot in the Frank Wells building, which is uh, a building that houses a number of different units of the company. But we're on the first floor of the Wells building. And, and our offices are basically just a reading room, which is where authors and researchers and, and employees of the company come in. They sit at tables in this little reading room, and we bring out our materials. Um, we have our offices there, and, and uh, of course, we have a gigantic room behind that reading room that is only open to the staff. That's where we keep all the things that we get into on a regular basis. So we have lots and lots of file cabinets and rolling shelving and, and pallet racking and all kinds of things. It's full of boxes of material and documents and drawers of, of flat things like posters and, and scrapbooks and things like that. Um, and it's a nice size office for an office. Um, but what people don't realize is that we have, I think at this point, we have 11 other spaces around Glendale and Burbank that, that house different types of, of our collections. So, for example, we have a photo library that has over 4 million images in it. Wow. And the transparencies and, and um, slides and things that make up that facility have to be kept in certain circumstances. So those materials are in cold storage in Glendale. We have one facility that is just costumes, so thousands of costumes. They're all on special racks and and specially preserved over there. And so they require each one of our our different collections requires has different needs for storage. And so we we put them in different places. Uh, We have a huge warehouse space where we have oversized things like cars and ride vehicles and furniture and sales. We have the Black Pearl model, which is about 20 feet long and chariots and thrones and Zorro's chairs and 
you know, boxes of, of props and things like that. And so we have different spaces for different things. And, and so it's more of a state of mind. Some of our facilities look like the last scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> you go in, big stacks of boxes with numbers on them. Um, other facilities are a little different, like the costume storage. You know, you can actually see that it's clothing on racks, but um, they're very carefully organized and cataloged. So it's it's kind of a, a, a theory instead of a place when you talk about the archives. The archives are small, but the, but the archives holdings are big. <laughs> that makes sense? It, it makes perfect sense. It's a very spread out. Um, it is. You had, you had mentioned at the beginning that, you know, you you take care of and you oversee all of the Disney properties. Um, and mm-hmm. one of those is the Lucasfilm. Now, before the acquisition, there used to be a separate Lucasfilm archives out at Skywalker right. Ranch. Ha- are mm-hmm. those items, is that archive still there or have they been moved or how does that work out? Well, most of the physical, tangible assets of Lucasfilm reside with George Lucas. He kept those things, and, you know, he's got plans to build a museum. I'm not sure what the status of that is right now. But the art and the matte paintings and the props and costumes and things from the, the first six uh, Star Wars films and all of the other films, the Indiana Jones items and, and his other movies, all reside with him still. We have the library, so the films actually now belong to the Walt Disney Company, and Going forward, you know, if you see Star Wars released in a movie theater, it'll be, you know, put out there by Disney. Um, so the the assets from the first, you know, the first years of Lucasfilm reside still with George Lucas. But we have always kept uh, the history of, of the Lucasfilm properties that are affiliated with Disney, like Captain EO and Star Tours and Indiana Jones attractions at our parks and things like that. So that history has always resided with us and will continue, of course, to do so. But going forward, the new movies will be treated just like Disney films. So the assets after the films are done will come to the Walt Disney Archives. And so that actually increases the size of our, our collections dramatically. So we're, we're kind of prepping for that, too, because as exhibits are done and, and things are done around the world about Lucasfilm, we'll be involved in that because the assets will be with us. Yeah, where are you going to put that full-size Millennium Falcon? <laughs> oh, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think I haven't asked. <laughs> You're going to have to buy a 12th uh, facility just for that. At the moment, I'm looking for a place to park Cinderella's coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, we're, we're working on that. And as we do these big tentpole films, we have to make, make space for, you know, sailing ships and, and uh, you know, circus yeah. wagons and things like that. <laughs> Happens all the time. It, that's the one problem in an archive. You never have enough space. No matter how much you get, you always need more. Of course. <laughs> Is anything ever thrown away? Rarely. We, we don't. And that's the thing is because that's what makes it, the archive special and different is that, you know, we, we have to anticipate what the company is going to need in the future. So part of it is being a seer and, and part of it's reading minds. And, and the other part of it is just taking into account the fact that, you know, somebody who's debuting in a film today who's an unknown might be a huge megastar in five years. And so we have to make sure that, you know, we take a lot of material from films regardless of how important somebody thinks they might be today, because they may be very important tomorrow. So it's part of it is just knowing what kind of things that, that will make good exhibits, kind of thing that, that people will expect to see if they're celebrating an anniversary for some reason. And so part of it is just, you know, knowing what, you know, we need today is going to inform what we need tomorrow. 
we we try not to take too many things that we think are going to be redundant and and but but we don't want to miss out on something that might be important you know down the road so it's kind of tricky it's very tricky so occasionally we take too much of something and then end up divesting ourselves of it um through other channels at disney that kind of thing but rarely do we have to get rid of things once in a while you know we may take something thinking we're going to do a big project and then that project doesn't happen and so we realize we have too much (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that rarely happens. We're pretty careful about what we take. So when you're on the hunt for new items, do you are you looking in the past for things? Or are you looking just at new items? Yeah, it's a little of both. I mean, we the Walt Disney Archives were founded in 1970, and so you know the company had been around for many many years before the archives was founded. So what Dave did when he started the archives was to to take keys and wander around the studio and look poke into closets and take the things that the company had kept. And one thing, for example, the company never really kept character merchandise. They never thought of it as a Disney direct product. It was kind of a byproduct. They licensed it from other people. So they kept all the documentation and and files and licensing materials because it had Disney imagery and, and, you know, contractual agreements, things like that. But they never kept samples of the early merchandise. And so Dave had to go out and start finding vintage merchandise from the 30s and 40s and 50s and the early years of Disneyland and so forth. So my job has always been to, you know, I don't have as much of a job as Dave had because he acquired a lot of things while he was there, but we still continue to do that. We go out and and acquire things that represent a a period of Disney history that we didn't keep anything for. Uh, For example, we don't have a lot of material, um, dimensional stuff from the films of the 60s and 70s. Um, once Dave came, he started taking things, but the, the 60s, 50s and 60s are a, a period of Disney film history that we don't have a lot of objects from. We have tons of stuff now, you know, and we keep things from all of our films, but back when Dave started the archives, it was a small outfit, and he didn't have a lot of space to store big things. So, you know, we don't have as many costumes or props or things from, from the films of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Once we get into the 80s, 90s, and today, we have a lot more dimensional stuff because, you know, the company recognizes the need for, for keeping these things, and we do more exhibits, and we, sh- we do a lot more outreach with fans, and, and there are outlets to share these things, and so we're given budgets and space to store these things and acquire them. So, yeah, I do look for things from, you know, and occasionally buy things. I, I purchased a few costumes that were original costumes from Mary Poppins, for example, uh, we've got a lot of, of art and a lot of documentation on Mary Poppins, but we didn't have very many props or costumes. And so, and, you know, I actually reached out and, and bought some things at auction and, and found some things so that we would have a good, good collection, especially, you know, doing the, the 50th anniversary like we did last year. So, yeah, the answer is both. We <laughs> have a lot of things, and, and I do, you know, I'm very selective about what we go out and try to find, and it has to be pretty iconic and important to, to acquire. But I, we do. I'm picturing Dave walking around looking in closets and then taking and you know <laughs> taking a run 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 <laughs> come back to the archives. <laughs> from Roy Disney. Roy Disney is the one who started the archives. He he okay. hired Dave but, and gave him keys and he and the and some of the the studio operations people you know went around and opened all everything and let Dave pillage through the morgue That's and amazing. and open closets down in the basement of the animation building. And, and, and then of course he went around to different people's offices and asked the old timers, do you have things that you'll turn <laughs> over to us? That, that, you know, yeah. I take files from you, you know? And, and so he had permission to do everything. He <laughs> yeah, did. yeah. Sounds like it would have been <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> 
Yeah, I saw, um, you mentioned Mary Poppins. I actually saw one of those, the hats that you brought around to the anniversary events this past, <laughs> last summer. So yeah, I got yeah. to get up real close to it. I couldn't touch it. They were very good, you know, but I couldn't yeah. touch it. But it, it, was, it was great just to be so close to it and to see it like that. Yeah, well, that one has a fun story. We actually have two Mary Poppins hats. We have the one that we've had all along um, that Dave had in the archives from the early years. But actually, the second one we found in a box in the wardrobe department at Disney. It was just laying in a box. Just sitting in a box. Yeah, just laying there. So we've been going through the wardrobe, and and when the prop department at Disney closed, we went through and took out thousands of items that we thought were of historic importance. And so, so yeah, well, every once in a while, things like that will actually, you know, turn up. So th- this has actually um, brought me up two, 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 I'm sorry, two different questions real quickly, though. Um, yeah, sorry to interject, and I apologize. You're going to please, please, please cut my voice out, but we <clears throat> we just have a couple more minutes left. I'm okay. sorry. Absolutely. Real, so one question then. Um, when an exhibit or an, an attraction at one of the parks closes, um, mm-hmm. let's take an example of at Hollywood Studios, the, the backlot tour that closed. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm assuming you're going to take one of those big trams and put that in the archives, but you're not going to keep all of them, will you? Oh, good heavens, no. So what, no, what, what happened to the rest? Well, the other things are, are, there's a number of different things. Some things are repurposed when an attraction closed down. WBI will take them and use them elsewhere. So that often happens. Um, then sometimes things are, of course, we're given the kind of right of first refusal on anything that Disney isn't going to repurpose. And if we think it's of historic value, we'll take it for the archives. And then various things happen. Sometimes things are sold to to cast members through um, internal channels. Sometimes things are destroyed. You know, it it happens. And sometimes they're taken apart and reused for other things. Sometimes like audio animatronic uh, figures, for example. You know, the the figures from America's Things still reside inside of Splash Mountain with different, you know, clothing and different looks. So it, there's a number of different things that happen to them, but but they always try to save the most, um, you know, things that people remember the, the most fondly. Great. And if you, if you can answer this last thing, do you have a favorite piece in the entire collection? I know that's a qu- crazy question to ask. But. <laughs> it's like asking somebody to say which child they love the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few things. I mean, Mary Poppins was the first movie I ever saw as a child, and so the snow globe for Mary Poppins has particular resonance for me. I also adore the the prop book from Sleeping Beauty. So as far as props, those two are probably the highest on my list. But again, going back to Walt Disney, I think the things that are that are associated directly with him, with with our founder, probably have the most um, emotional pull for me to see something that you know, a drawing that he actually made or a letter that he actually wrote. Um, you know, just always yeah. resonate with me. So I would say there's there's multiple answers to that, but those are probably high on the list. Fantastic. Well, thank this you for is, joining us today, Becky. Yeah, this has been really great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed doing it. Thank you again. So there you have it. That is our conversation with Becky Klein. What a great, fantastic uh, conversation. If you're a Disney history uh, nerd at all, that was really cool to hear. Yeah, and you know what I think has been fascinating? We've had a lot of different people on the show so far, a lot of different people who have different kinds of jobs. And I think down to down to the last one everyone has said i have the best job 
um, which is really great to hear that there's so many people who just love the jobs that they have. But, you know, Becky said it again just now. You know, she's like, I have the best job um, in the world. And it's kind of hard to argue with that if you're a Disney mm -hmm. fan. You know, I, I, I wasn't lying when I said I used to work in a collections archive for one of the museums here. I did. And if you like the material that the museum collects, it's a fascinating place to be. And so if you're a Disney fan or if you have any appreciation for Disney history, that's got to be an amazing place to work. Right. And just hearing about the exhibit, I'm the one thing I'm jealous about, and I know it might seem insignificant to some people, is seeing in the press release they said they have a ticket, the mm. first Disneyland ticket purchased by Roy... Roy Disney. Roy Disney. It's, yeah, it's it's the it's stamped number one. I mean, it's like zero 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 one. And no. it was the it was the first <laughs> ticket off the roll. Roy bought it, and it was like 1955. It was the very first ticket <laughs> entrance wow. ticket. That would give me like woo. -hoo -hoo. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and they they knew it then. They knew it in 19, you know 60 years ago. They had the forethought. I'm gonna keep this ticket. Right. You know, I'm gonna I'm going to you know keep it pristine. I'm gonna put it in my you know wherever you put it, my pocket or my wallet. <laughs> And then I'm going to frame it or whatever yeah. he did with it. You know, he, he they had this, this, the state of mind to preserve right. it even then. They've got that guy in dark light in a cold room, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. probably. So a uh, couple of things before we go for the week. We are involved in a summer giveaway. And where there's a, it's a website, basically. And we're teaming up with a bunch of other podcasts and blogs. And we're going to be giving away a few things. Um, our contribution is some as an iTunes gift card. So I just wanted to point that out. If you want to head over to summerofgiveaways.com, you can check out the giveaway. There's lots of cool stuff over there. And finally, um, what else? <laughs> well, I, um, when does that end? Um, I think it goes all summer. Okay, because you may want to stick that on the end of the other the other ones that are coming up too. Yeah, I will. Yeah. And the contest is going to go all summer, and there's a whole bunch of different prizes. they got stuff from Transformers, Beard Oil, iTunes gift cards. So head on over. And all the dude, all the guys involved in it are awesome. The other podcasts are great. I actually guest appeared on the Plaid Dads podcast, and it's cool. So go check it out. And you can find us on Twitter at the, G the GBB podcast and Facebook. We are also facebook.com slash the GBB podcast. And Jamie, where are you on the interweb? Where can we find your face? <laughs> My face? You can't find. Well, I guess you could. Uh, the Roarbots, T-H-E-R-O-A-R-B-O-T-S, everywhere. <laughs> You're actually right. Before we started the podcast, I never saw your face anywhere until, <laughs> until I saw you pop up on the video. That's pretty, that's pretty crafty. And uh, I'm at 140 Justin C on all platforms. So we will see you soon. Thanks for joining us again. Take and care. Have a great night. Have fun. <laughs>